Good evening, I'm Laura Rice and welcome to Full Body Frequencies, celebration of D'Angelo's birthday and his contributions to the canon of great black music. Now, before we begin the program, here are a few quick notes. Although we are streaming live, this event is being recorded for an upcoming episode of Full Body Frequency, and it will be available on all podcast platforms soon. But this program will remain available for viewing on Full Body Frequency's Facebook channel. As you watch, don't forget to subscribe and like this video. 33 and a Third Book has graciously gifted tonight's audience with a 20% discount on D'Angelo's Voodoo, written by Faith Pennick. Please look in the chat and the emails that you received earlier today for more details so that you can take advantage of this limited time offer. We hope that there will be time to answer a few audience questions. So if you have them, please type them into the chat whenever the spirit moves you. We may even have you join us to ask your questions on screen. Now, immediately following this part of the program, we will move over to the after party with Dwayne Powell on his Sound Rotation Twitch channel. This link is available via the chat and again in your email confirmations. Thank you for joining us for a happy birthday, D'Angelo, a celebration of word and music. Some of you may know that this evening was originally slated to take place in March, 2020 in collaboration with the Stony Island Arts Bank in Chicago. This was part of Face Penick's uh, D'Angelo US Book Tour kickoff, but COVID. However, we get to share this event with a much larger audience and we are really grateful for that. My first guest is Chicago-born, Los Angeles-based, critically acclaimed author of D'Angelo's Voodoo. This 33 and a third music imprint was recently named one of the best music books of 2020 by Variety Magazine. In addition to writing the hell out of D'Angelo's Voodoo, Pinnock is a contributing writer to the pop culture website, The Learned Fangirl. As a filmmaker, Faith's work includes the documentaries, Silent Choices and Waitlist, and the narrative short films, Running on Eggshells and The Haunt. She is currently in development for her narrative feature film, a, di a directorial debut, Double Effect, and the short film, 2020. Pinnock earned her BA at the University of Michigan and an MA at New York University's Gallatin School Individualized Study. My next guest is Dwayne e. Powell, a music historian and DJ whose influence can be felt throughout the U.S. music industry. With his sound rotation brand launch, Dwayne e. Powell almost single-handedly cultivated the underground soul scene in Chicago, giving many artists, including Lettucey, Eric Roberson, Raheem Devon, their first spins, sales, and performance debuts in the market. He also served as a consultant, and a liaison between artists and venues. He's been dubbed the custodian of the indie soul movement by Eric Roberson. As a music historian, under the umbrella of his rear view mirror sessions, he has presented on Bill Withers, Curtis Mayfield, Leon Ware, and others. At the University of Chicago, the Detroit Institute of Art, and a host of many other institutions. He can be found on Sound Rotation Radio, every Sunday night. Faith and Dwayne, let's unpack a bit of voodoo. Welcome guys. Thanks Hello. for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining me. 2020 marked the 25th anniversary of D'Angelo's first album, Brown Sugar, and the 20th anniversary of Voodoo, his second album. Voodoo was released to critical acclaim, yet despite this, radio airplay was limited on many stations. And Faith, you write, seeping outside the accepted lines of commercial R&B music, Voodoo was black. It was def definitely magic. However, culturally and musically, it wasn't accepted by the masses. What was the cultural and music industry landscape when Voodoo was released? The album came out in 2000, but was recorded in the late 90s. And during this time, R&B, you could say, was not in a great place, uh, or at least particularly, in, particularly compared to the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. um, I think you had a lot of 
sort of color by numbers artists and, and bands and, and a lot of sort of, you know, boy groups like Jodeci, Troop, uh, Drew Hill. Mm. And then you had singers like Mary J. Blige. Uh, you had Deborah Cox. And, you know, you had the girl group SWV. And I mean, they were making good music and popular music, but it wasn't anything you could say that was daring or really pushing the envelope. You know, you didn't have anything, you know, similar to say a songs in the key of life or, you know, what's going on. And I think that's what a lot of people during that time were particularly you know, Gen Xers were looking for. And I think D'Angelo, you know, he was looking for that as well. I mean, Brown Sugar is a very accomplished album, but it's a pretty straightforward R&B album. And I think when he finished that, he, you know, he wanted to shake things up. He really wanted to do something different. He really wanted to sort of, you know, challenge the industry and challenge the listener. So he aligned with Questlove, a.k.a. Amir Thompson, the co-founder and drummer of The Roots. They met after the, a Roots gig in L.A. Mm -hmm. and sort of platonically fell in love with each other, uh, primarily over their mutual love of Prince. Um, but they also, I mean, Questlove also was very angry with the state of R&B music at the time. He actually called it, he called it the shiny suit movement. Um, that's a direct one. And yeah, and it sort of was. So he, you know, this is coming off of, you know, like late in new edition and all, you know, and so it, it was sort of accurate. And he also was a very, he's a very iconoclastic, you know, person and musician, and he has different interests as far as music. And so they met and were like, and you know, DeQuestlove was invited to work on D'Angelo's album, and they they just it was just like they were in a kids in a in a playground, you know, kids playing around in a sandbox, and they really wanted to explore what they could do sonically, what they could do as far as you know, you know, working with different uh, different musicians and doing different types of uh, you know time signatures and key changes and, you know, or just blowing up time signatures. And then, you know, then you have to bring in Jay Dilla because he was very influential in their sort of playing behind the beat. And, you know, they really, and then also Russell Lovato, who's the, who, who engineered the album. He also very big, uh, very wide, you know, interest in music. Um, and, he also wanted to do something down and dirty. So they really aligned and, you know, and really, you know, for like three and a half years recorded this album that was going to be different. You know, I think they weren't necessarily trying, they weren't trying to make a hit record, mm -hmm. uh, much to the chagrin of Virgin Records, but they wanted to make the, an album that they could look up to and, you know, that they wanted to play at home. They really made that album. They made Voodoo for themselves. So when you talk about they, let's be really specific about who some of they were, some of the musicians and the people who contributed to Voodoo's magic. Sure. Uh, there was, obviously, besides D'Angelo, there was Questlove. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Jay Dilla um, from Slum Village, rest in peace. There was the late, great Roy Hargrove, the uh, jazz trumpeter. There was Charlie Hunter, who is a jazz guitarist. There's Pino Palladino, the very well-regarded uh, bass player. Um, and then they had other, you know, people come in and do like, you know, bit parts. And they, you know, G DJ Premier co-wrote and co-produced Devil's Pie. So they, you know, there were a lot of people, and they, and they had people coming in and out like during the entire recording. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot, a, a really creative, exciting, eclectic energy going on at Electric Lady Studios while they were making that album. And you can really hear that, not just on that album, but other albums that came out during that time that were also recorded at Electric Lady at the same time. Okay. And so, Dwayne, give us a little bit of the, the music industry landscape at, during this time. I mean, some people called it Neil Soul, some, some musicians rejected it, but tell us a little bit more. 
Yeah, so some musicians definitely rejected the term, but Neo Soul definitely became this new thing um, after, like Faith was saying, that the the, the R&B industry, even though it was some good music, it was definitely formulaic. Um, and just from the standpoint of back in the 60s and the 70s, for a Motown, you also had a Stax for a... You know what I mean? You also had the Tom Bell for the Belfia sound and everything like that. And then by the time the 90s came out, it seemed like there was only one one kind of R&B. You know, um, and this neo-soul thing kind of broke the mold into having, you know, my generation. Uh, I don't want to say how old I am. <laughs> you know, Gen, you know, Gen X, having us feeling like we are hearing something that we listened to when our when we were young in our parents' homes. Um, but then for some reason that was starting to people were receiving it and was trying to make that be formulaic with a, you know, with the with the pattern of everything being what ninety to ninety something, ninety two beats a minute with the rim shot and and Fender Rhodes, right? Just mm-hmm. like this whole, uh, how would they say it? it was a vibe. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it became this thing that you associated with uh, poetry events and and the the cool thing to take your girl to that make you seem a little bit more grown and sexy than popping your collar in the club, you know, uh, sort of deal. Um and then, of course, whatever, whenever there's a new beacon of something, the industry is going to come and try to package that, all that, that thing. And you start seeing all of these other um, people trying to follow that formula. Um, and I think Questlove and D'Angelo, when they got together, like Laura said, they got together as little music geeks. Um, they wanted to be able to explore all avenues. Because like I said, as much as it was influenced, you know, D'Angelo's first album, Brown Sugar, the first thing that came up was his likeness to Marvin Gaye in sound. Mm-hmm. And and a little Smokey Robinson, largely because of, you yep. know, he did a cover of Cruiser. So it was that mellow smoothness that people really gravitated towards. But just as much as he was influenced by Marvin Gaye, he was influenced by Prince. Just mm-hmm. as much as he was influenced by Prince, he was a, a lover of Funkadelic. You know, and so on and so forth. And so he wanted to be able to, you know, really um, flesh that out more. In addition to his grassroots in the church, you know what I'm saying? And the Curtis Mayfieldness and the, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but D'Angelo, you know, he also was, they had a hard time with him coming out because D'Angelo was always married to the Fender Rhodes, like, Sitting mm-hmm. down and, and being right. part of the band and being whatever. It was never about him trying to be sexy or anything of that nature. Um, and like Laura said, with everything that was also going on in Electrolytic Studios, you had this whole new thing that was being created because around the same time. But you had a whole thing that was, they finally got to be able to put the pieces together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those pieces ended up, like I said, with everything that was going on in Electrolytic Studios. Erica Badu's Mama's Gun album. Uh, they were actually working on Bilal's first one second at the time. Um, Commons, um, like Water for Chocolate. That was this whole new thing. And they were creating these albums where you had to listen to the album. They weren't singles driven. You know, right. it was more like a uh, you put the record on and you listen to it as in its complete journey. Where R&B wasn't doing that at the time. Everything was about what is the next single Let's hurry up and get you the vi- the video ready for the next video, you know, so on and so forth. And first of all, D'Angelo is a very introverted. So all of that, <laughs> he wasn't really trying to, you know, that was, you know, record executive moves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was a mixture because at the time I was in, I was in, in one hand, I was in retail. Another hand, I had been in distribution. And then on the third hand, I was promoting. So mm-hmm. I was seeing the way different groups were were navigating to this. And you definitely had the Planet Groovers um, who was looking for the mellow smooth. And you definitely had um, hip hop 
really us like embrace D'Angelo, especially with this record having Premiere and Dilla on it. They embraced it and gave it like the thumbs up. Um, and then of course, you know, that was the infamous video that that sent others. Right, um, right, right, right. So but we're gonna hold that thought for a minute. We're gonna hold the video on. thought for a second. Gonna hold okay. the video thought. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's one of the hard critics to not go into the. Huh. I know, <laughs> but yeah, but we got to hold that thought because because mm -hmm. we really want to talk about because that's a pivotal part of the book, D'Angelo's Voodoo, right there. So, but I wanted to 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 jump in and say one of the criticisms that was lodged against D'Angelo by some dyed in the wool black Christian traditionalists. And this has some this has to do with the video, but it also has to do with his move from his Pentecostal upbringing to the sexual expressivity of brown sugar to the rootedness of voodoo. So part of our religious traditions, no matter what faith we belong to, and throughout the African diaspora, we generally are full of lots of verbal expression. So one of the things that we're going to move to now is D'Angelo's so-called mumbling and chicken grease. It was critiqued. It was criticized. And to me, you know, as he's moving from the from the church to to popular music, popular culture. But this mumbling is part of black coded spiritual language or the quilted histories that composer librettist uh, Talani Davis writes about. She says, some springs, the Mississippi rose up so high, it drowned out sound, the sound of singing and escape. And in some ways, is Checking Grease part of D'Angelo's underground railroad escape from traditional R&B to becoming an artist? Is it that some people have access to this passage to freedom and others don't? I mean, you just mentioned the Soul Aquariums. You mentioned that it's about telling a story. It's not about one single. But have, were we at that time, some of us conditioned that we were, some people were willing to go on this journey and others just won't, won't ever go on the journey. So Faith, unpack a little bit about uh, of chicken grease mm -hmm. and the criticism for the mumbling and uh, the connections to the church. Sure. Um, let me, before I preface that, uh, mm -hmm. or get into that, uh, let me preface with, um, yeah, I mean, D'Angelo, when, you know, he grew up in West Richmond, Virginia, in the Holiness Church, both his father and grandfather were, were ministers. So he was, he is of the faith. He's of the church. So when he decided to, you know, pursue a career in R&B music, he did get criticism, you know, particularly from family members who felt like you shouldn't do that. That's the devil's music. And it was his late grandmother who he calls Miss Alberta, who really stood by him and said, no, you should, mm -hmm. you know, go for your dream and really pursue, you know, pursue this passion of yours in secular, secular music. So he did definitely get that uh, backlash from people within, within the church. Um, as far as the mumbling goes, I mean, that's not just, I mean, that was not just an issue as far as, say, you know, Christian edicts. That was, I mean, that was just regular people listening to the album, you know, and it, and it wasn't just Chicken Grease, but I think Chicken Grease is the most obvious mm -hmm. um, example of that kind of indecipherability that sometimes D'Angelo does. And actually, I, you know, I talked to an ethnomusicologist, uh, Alicia Lola Jones, who mm -hmm. teaches at Indiana University. And sort of like what you said, Laura, she also says that that kind of, you know, not being able to, you know, lack of, of enunciation is very rooted in, in African culture. So I'm going to read just a quick um, section from the book. Uh, mm -hmm. The syrupy, syrupy vocalization about chicken grease what could be dismissed or dismissed as mumbling is both a reflection of D'Angelo's musical and cultural canon and a rejection of Eurocentric standards. Quote, even if I'm mumbling, D'Angelo says, I'd like to keep a lot of the initial thing that comes out because that's the spirit, end quote. His occasional lack of enunciation, said Alicia Lola Jones, assistant professor of ethnomusicology at Indiana University, 
is D'Angelo engaging in, quote, vocalized textual embedding. Jones describes the practice as part of an African-derived aesthetic found in gospel, jazz, R&B, even dubstep music. So again, I mean, this is D'Angelo trying to bridge all of these different influences um, that we talked about before, hip hop, soul, gospel. And I think, you know, just very quickly, I think people tend to leave gospel out because, you know, they talk about funk and hip hop and mm -hmm. Prince mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, jazz. And, and it's like, no, you, I mean, you don't have a D'Angelo without gospel music. Absolutely. And I, and I think Voodoo yeah. is, a, is a great example of him honor, honoring his gospel roots in secular music. Because I think that's a very spiritual album, lyrically and musically. So I think in this sense, you know, he is, you know, being true to himself as, as, a, as an artist, but also being true to himself as an African-American man and embracing uh, that, you know, that type of, I mean, I don't want, it's not speaking in tongues per se, but that uh, communication that isn't necessarily going to be accepted in standard R&B music because most people want to understand what you're saying. And for D'Angelo, it's more, it's, it's just as much about the spirit as it is about the lyrics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's more about the spirit with him. Hmm. Well, I would say it's yeah, both. It's I mean, I would not. I mean, because I think for all of the credit that D'Angelo gets as a musician, he is also an amazing lyricist. So I don't want to say I think the spirit comes in through his music, but also through his lyrics. He's a very passionate. I mean, you can you can see and feel the passion in his lyrics. And I think he, I personally think D'Angelo doesn't get enough credit as being an amazing lyricist. So I think, I think there, you can't, again, you can't take, just like you can't take gospel out of him. You can't take spirit away from his musicality mm -hmm. or his lyricism. I think they're mm -hmm. all on the same level. So let's fast forward kind of in the same vein to Voodoo's 20th anniversary. The music seems to have found a new appreciation by those who weren't convinced by the album's genius the first time around. These folks seem to have been joined by a younger white audience who are hearing D'Angelo's music for the first time. So if this is true, what accounts for Voodoo's revival, if you will? Um, well, um, just Ooh, quickly, I, I think part of that is because now, R&B, you know, R&B, I mean, like we were saying before, like, you know, R&B was more, you know, more traditional sort of follow, you know, follow the rabbit, you know, follow the leader and didn't really overall take a lot of chances. Now, I mean, R&B has pretty much been rolled up into hip hop and trap music in particular is just, that is the standard now. Mm -hmm. And trap music is way more about you know, beats and about percussion and about, you know, it, 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 in many cases, it's, it's like the same, you know, like chords on a loop over and over and over. So, I mean, like there's no like first verse, second verse, chorus, bridge. It's just the same thing, over, you know, and, and in some cases, you know, you have rappers sort of doing this monotone, uh, you know, spitting over it. And for some people, you're just sort of like, where's the musicality? And I'm not mm. trying to knock on trap music, but it's not, you know, it's not something where you can really get into it, like, you know, put it on in your home and listen mm -hmm. to it and be mm -hmm. and be taken somewhere, somewhere or be, have a story be told to you. And I think voodoo is about, it, it is about storytelling and it's about tr making you travel from, you know, you start at one place with player, player, and you end at one place in Africa. And, you know, I think there's an appreciation for, I think at the time, I think there were many, even though it did go platinum, let's, let's be clear, it wasn't. It did, flat, it did. But it sold like 1.7 million copies. But there were a lot of people who were like, I don't understand, what is this? Right. This is weird. Mm -hmm. And I think now people appreciate that because there's like, you know, I mean, now it's just like people just appreciate people who can sing on key. You know what I'm saying? Because now it's like everything's right. auto-tuned or right. you don't really, you know, everybody sort of talks, sings now, you know? And so I think, 
you know, you hear something like voodoo and it's, it's a breath of fresh air. So it, it actually makes sense to me that there's going to be, uh, you know, a, 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 re- a recurrence, a renaissance of voodoo becoming sort of more, you know, pop more, well, not more popular, but it's, you know, it's going to open up new doors with people when, when they hear it, you know, particularly with younger people who maybe didn't grow up listening to Sly Stone and Curtis Mayfield and Marvin Gaye or Prince. They may not even know who those artists are, sadly. Sadly. And not to mention, too, that whenever um, something is studied, right, you go back to what you go back to critically acclaimed things, right? Mm -hmm. Voodoo was definitely very critically acclaimed and and critically received in that regard. And so when, when, when a newer generation goes to look up things to study, you know, those albums, like Voodoo actually comes up in Brown Sugar Dust, mm. right? Because of this musicality and because of that thing that stood the test of time. And then also, I believe another part of it too is the Dilla effect. Um, oh, yeah. There was yeah. a huge thing that happened um, with Dilla, especially at Dilla's passing. I mean, there's still full on, you know, like, this past weekend with Bill Weekend, there's still full on. There was a whole new breed of artistry and musicianship, especially in jazz, that happened after Dilla. Um, and a whole lot of attention, and especially in the European markets. I can think of a few artists in particular, this band by Moonchild, um, and this artist in Australia by the name of Jordan Rakey, and they both are like global thing. They are the direct, they are heavily drawing from voodoo and from Mama's God, heavily, and mm-hmm. are not even shameful. Not so much because they shouldn't be shamed because they're making great music. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a large part of it, you know, going back and it's kind of like I was having a conversation once when I'm recently with someone, you know, millennials grew up. Like when I was when I was little, I was born into a world where Aretha Franklin was already dubbed the Queen of Soul. So, yeah. and no matter where I traveled in my music, no matter what I heard, no matter what new artists that came that I gravitated into that I loved, no matter what, she was still the pinnacle. You know what I mean? Right. These younger artists coming in, Erica and D'Angelo are the pinnacles. So that's already a given in their head. Mm-hmm. So that's what mm-hmm. you study, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And really quickly, a shout out acknowledging Jay Dilla's birthday that recently passed uh, February 7th. So rest in power, rest in peace. And thank you, Jay Dilla, for everything you've done for us. So Faith, I'm going to ask you this specific question. What impact has your book, D'Angelo's Voodoo, had on extending this revival? Have you seen (laughs) have you seen a shift? Have you seen any influence yet? Yeah, it's all me. Um, I, I would love, I mean, just the, you know, the ego part of me would love to say, oh, yeah, it's a big resurgence um, just because of my book. I mean, I think, you know, definitely people, you know, reach, reached out to me and said, oh, you know, this book is, in, is great. And I, and I think particularly for people, I think maybe the difference is the book has turned voodoo on to people who like voodoo, who are friends of D'Angelo, but the, it, D'Angelo, I mean, voodoo wasn't their thing. Like they may have been, you know, like totally into brown sugar or, mm-hmm. and I think this is the other thing with Black Messiah coming out in 2014 and people, in some cases, people are like, oh man, Black Messiah, it's amazing. See, to me, it's just like, yeah, that's just the next, to me, that's the next chapter from voodoo. But I think in some ways people are working backwards mm-hmm. because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they hear you know, Black Messiah, and they're like, oh, well, where did this come from? And to me, it's like, uh, voodoo, it's over there, it came out in 2000. So I, I hope my book yeah. for people who maybe just weren't, you know, voodoo didn't click with them in 2000, I'm hoping that by reading it, that people will get an understanding of, you know, what D'Angelo was, again, trying to do with the album, what he accomplished with it, as far, again, musically, and lyrically, you know, some of the backstory. I think, you know, th- there's a lot under, you know, underneath, gir- underneath and girding that album, which is part of why I was so passionate about it. You know, I mean, 
Laura, I, I turned you on to the album. I was like, oh my God, this album's amazing. So, you know, when it first came out, pretty much. And I did yeah. that with I did that with a lot of people. Um, so I was sort of the acolyte, the voodoo acolyte, if you will. And, you know, I, I hope it, you know, and I think also with last year being the 20th anniversary, that timing helps as well because then mm -hmm. people are going back and looking at it and sort of evaluating it, particularly compared to R and B now. Okay. So I just hope it gives people a you know, sort of a, you know, again, a, a, a new perspective on, on the mm -hmm. album. I mean, obviously this is not, you know, it, this is not like, okay, this is it. And this is the Bible and nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, maybe it will make people, I hope it will make people curious about voodoo, particularly if, you know, they never heard it and maybe they were too young to really hear it growing up or, Again, it can't, you know, when it came out in 2000, it just sort of went over their heads. Because Voodoo is an album, in, in many cases, that has to grow on people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it's not an album that everybody's going to get at first listen. And, and that's not bad. I mean, I think there are lots of albums that people hear when they first hear it, they're like, eh. And then maybe two, three, five years later, they're like, oh, my God, how mm -hmm. did I, you know, how did I miss this? It's like, oh, okay. That's okay. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry, y'all. Um, okay. <laughs> and yeah, technology. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, I hope that, you know, I hope it will contribute to like a new resurgence of interest in voodoo. Okay. So speaking of something that's missing, there's a long line of visionary Black women, singers, musicians, and composers whose voices are deeply connected to the projects that they work on. Yet sometimes these artists don't receive the fruits of their labor, including public and industry recognition for their contributions. One artist is Lil Hardin Armstrong, Louis Armstrong's second wife. She was a jazz pianist, composer, arranger, singer, and band leader. Arguably her business acumen, her musical talent, and their collaborative partnership contributed to, contributed to Louis Armstrong's greatness as an artist. In the context of Brown Sugar and Voodoo, Lil Hardin Armstrong is Angie Stone, and Angie Stone is she. What say you all? Um, I yes. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay. you know, I, I, and I write about this in the book, I do feel that Angie Stone does not get the credit she deserves. One, for, you know, what she contributed to Voodoo. She co-wrote four of the songs. And two, just her contribution to D'Angelo as an artist. And I think people sort of look over that. I mean, she is a big reason that he got Brown Sugar done. And I actually write about in the book about how uh, publishing exec music publishing executive Jocelyn Cooper, who had Angie Stone in her roster, paired her with D'Angelo, who was also on her roster, uh, to help him write songs. And, you know, this was his first album. He was... 20 something, you know, like a 21, 21 years old when he made it and 20 years old. So, I mean, he was, he was very young, very wet behind the ears. And Angie had already had all this experience in the industry. She started out with the sequence, a rap group out of uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And then she had, she sang with vertical hold and, you know, she was a songwriter in her own right. So, she had more production experience, so she helped. De she was a big reason D'Angelo finished that album because he was sort of slacking and not, mm -hmm. you know, really, you know, not making deadlines and just sort of, which mm -hmm. is what he did on Voodoo as well. He was just like, whatever, I'll finish it when I finish it. Mm -hmm. And Angie really, you know, she co-wrote one of the songs on Brown Sugar, Jones and My Bones, and again, really contributed to that album being what it is and. Be, and coming out, you know, being and, and being completed, and yeah. I think when they, you know their their uh, their romantic involvement, uh, I think has overshadowed that. Every, a lot of people just look at Angie Stone as D'Angelo's baby's mama, and she, you know, and I mean, in addition to having her own successful solo singing career and acting career, she is a big reason D'Angelo is who he is. And so for me, it's like, if you're going to talk about Questlove, if you're going to talk yeah. about uh, Russell Lovato, you've got to talk about Angie as well. Say that again, Dwayne. Yeah, but she was also, she was his, 
she was she was his Alice Coltrane. She was his Betty Davis. She was his mm-hmm. his muse. He was his, you know, what I mean, a big, like you said, even the songs that she didn't get writer's credit on, she still was the one that struck those melodies in his head. Like she was every aspect of this of this stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's really all I can say. She was the right. essence of everything he was doing. Yes, absolutely. So everybody, just a quick reminder before we continue the conversation, continue to place your questions in the chat because we really want Faith and Dwayne to answer your questions as well as mine, okay? So, Faith. Yes, Laura. <laughs> is, the vi- is the video hot enough? Yes, Laura. Shall we begin? Yes, Laura. We can't play the music because it would be a copyright infringement. <laughs> Just if you're thinking like, why don't we hear anything? Yeah, the visuals really are enough. <laughs> And there we go. So the video, as we call it, yes. untitled, How Does It Feel, certainly helped to sell lots of CDs and lots of concert tickets. Yep. But in the end, D'Angelo felt mm-hmm. like he sold his musical soul. V- viewer experiences tend to run counter to the loss of soul for some of us. Our experience of the video was mind-blowing, earth-shattering, soul shaking, but in the best way. <laughs> so you all share your experiences of and with the video, the video. You can start well, doing. My experience, of course, is different. <laughs> but I would say it did lend to the conversation about uh, the black male body and freedom mm-hmm. and um, the black male not used to being able to move freely. Um, and I think it was shocking, you know, for some people to see, because especially, you know, coming into the game, the first one, like I said, he was much more of a shy kid behind the, the road, you know, he didn't come from behind that for anything, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. to come back all in this manner, ripped and whatever, and just like, yo, here, it definitely was uh, jarring. Um, then it definitely was like, okay, let me tuck my tuck myself in. I'm getting a little too <laughs> <laughs> my belly getting a little too like let me reexamine some things, <laughs> you know. But it definitely, you know, I, for me, it like I said, um, a friend of mine um, who went to. Mount Holyoke, your alma mater, Laura Rice, uh, April Ooh. Graham, she turned me on to an article written by Wallace Best. And the quote was, black male bodies, black, uh, black bodies in motion are never without consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, that spoke to, that to me, that black male body in motion and freely. And, 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 and to the point we were jarred by seeing someone so free in their, in their cells, seeing somebody, even if it's free in their sexiness, just that kind of freedom. We didn't see that, especially hip hop at that point was like the stronghold on 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 representation of black community. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it was a stance. It was a thing. It was uh, you know the Timberlands. It was just everything that, and he shared all of that, mm-hmm. and that was really like whoa. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it it, it seems to me ironic that. Although you speak of freedom, it seemed to place chains around him. Even though he shed the the out the exterior, the the clothing, but there was something yeah. that seemed to bind him after that. And Faith, you write that the expectation for oh, D'Angelo was to be soul music Superman. And that's unfair, but that the pressure didn't phase him then. It was the sex symbol label that proved to be his kryptonite. So what transpired for D'Angelo around the making and release of the video and his subsequent career and personal upheaval around his undesired status 
as a sex symbol? Yeah, well, um, it's Dominique Trenier's fault, basically. <laughs> uh, his former manager, his late manager. Um, it was the video was his idea. He wanted, he knew that, I mean, this again, just for people who don't realize this who are younger, in the late 90s, MTV was everything. I mean, it was in some ways it was even bigger than radio. If you broke on MTV, mm-hmm. you reached you know, all the, you know, influencers, young people, not so young people. I mean, it's so MTV was very important in a recording artist's career. Mm-hmm. And Dominique Trenier knew correctly that it would not be enough that for D'Angelo to just come out with a second, uh, to a second album. Although I will say, I mean, obviously to black folks and to his fans, yeah, because everybody was like, when is D'Angelo's next album coming out? Oh my God. So, I mean, there was this sort of like people waiting with bated breath for D'Angelo to put something out. So he obviously, you know, for his fan base, yeah, they were down. Mm-hmm. But he, Dominique Trenier wanted him to like reach beyond R&B fans, his own fans, uh, he wanted him to be a global superstar. So the video, which is co-directed by Paul Hunter, uh, it drops end of 1999, like around November. And it actually came out before the album did. And everybody, you know, wi- women lost their minds. Everybody lost their minds. I mean, it just, I can't, I forgot how many times I was asked did you see the D'Angelo video? Oh my God, the new D'Angelo video. Blah, blah, blah. And it's actually in the book where Miss Rice, Laura, calls me at 7.30 in the morning and says, <laughs> oh my God, turn on MTV. And I was like, what? Wait, why? I got to go to work. And I'm, and the video is on. I'm like, <gasps> so it worked. It worked. And it that video was, was the buzz for probably about six months. I mean, people, you know, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was watching it. You could... Anytime it played somewhere, you could hear a pin drop, particularly like a beauty salon or a nail salon or mm-hmm. anywhere black women were, they just stopped what they're doing when the entitled video came on. It was crazy. It was just like, you know, it just people couldn't deal. I mean, we, now, I'm sorry? We had people running into the store wondering if we had a poster. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they were coming in the store like droves. They're like, okay, when the album came out, I was like, is there, they was wondering if there's like a pinup, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I mean, he's, you know, he's shirtless on the album cover. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was obvious that that was, that was a, you know, calculated move by Trenier and his team to make D'Angelo the next big sex symbol. But the interesting thing about the video is that, you know, this is, I mean, you keep in mind, you had videos out. This isn't the first black guy you saw with no shirt on. LL Cool J made his career wearing no shirt. DMX wore, didn't wear shirts. Uh, 50 Cent, Tupac with the Thug Life tattoo. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like, I mean, Jodeci was like, hey, look at it, you know. <laughs> Oh, you know, we're exposing our pecs, whatever, you know. So it was, was, yeah, right. No, I mean, it was, that wasn't really a thing. I mean, I mean, black dudes were doing that in almost every video, but in this video, it was different because it was very clear that the video, the, the untitled video was made for women. It is for women to look at, for women to fall in love with and Olga or whatever. And men, particularly black men resented the crap out of that. And that, and I mean, you can read about it in the book. I won't get into all that, but there was a lot of, I mean, to a certain extent, homophobic and just ego challenging things that black men, you know, they, they couldn't hang with their girlfriends, wives, mothers, et cetera, taking four minutes away from them to watch this untitled video. Um, so it, it worked. It did what it was supposed to do. But the problem is, is that the untitled video really did, overshadow not just the song but the voodoo album mm-hmm. and when he toured you know sort of like what Dwayne was saying where people were like I want a poster I mean people were in the front rows like there went there were women throwing their panties on stage yelling at him to take it off trying to rip off his clothes and D'Angelo as as Dwayne mentioned earlier is a very he's very introverted he's shy and he's very serious about his craft. He's not just out there to, 
he, I mean, excuse my language. He's not out there to bullshit. He's out there to like give you, and particularly live, give you the best performance that he can give. He will lay it all out on the stage. He wants to be that paragon of amazing craft and musicianship. And and mm -hmm. he and, and instead he was being reduced to, you know, Ken doll, you know, mm -hmm. like a black mm -hmm. Ken doll. And yeah, it 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 re he resented it and it came out, you know, he was he would have he would have uh you know rages after performances. Uh I actually interviewed uh his tour manager at the time, Alan Leeds, and he talked about how he was really upset that he felt like people weren't taking him seriously as an artist. And that mm -hmm. led to you know, in my opinion, and in addition to other things, um, not to mention the death of his grandmother, mm -hmm. I think led him down a road of depression, drug abuse, alcoholism or alcohol abuse. And just he because he couldn't he felt like I think he felt he lost himself, you know, and and that's why he just sort of peaced out for more than a decade, because I think he. You know, on top of the fact that he almost died in 2005. And I think he, mm -hmm. you know, he had to rebuild himself. He had to find himself and go back to what his number one love is, which is music. And unfortunately, I mean, that video, you know, I mean, we're talking about it right now. And I mean, it's a beautiful video, but I think the video worked too well. I mean, it's one of those, that, you know, situations where, you know, be careful what you wish for because you might get it. And they got mm -hmm. exactly what they expected mm -hmm as far as the popularity of that of that video but the video just it was a, it was like an eclipse it just it it covered the sun mm -hmm. and it you know i think they no one was prepared for you know the the ripple effect that that would have on d'angelo personally absolutely having gone to one yeah. of the stops on the voodoo the tour phase of soul searching yeah I was, I was going to say, yeah, serious stage of soul searching. But also, I was actually shocked by the number of women that were relentless at one of the concerts, one of the Voodoo Tour concerts in Homedale, New Jersey. It was <laughs> unbelievable. I thought, Black women, you've lost your mind. I mean, he's fine, <laughs> but can the man perform? Please let him yeah. do his, you know, let's appreciate the music, not yeah. the body, not just the body. Yeah. So. Yeah, it got it got I mean, it got a little backstage, crazy. Backstage at at, at or it got crazy. It got it got very very crazy, um, and that was a part of it too too because you also had he, you was also these people who was now trying to absorb some of that, even like some of the crew, some some guys, mm. right? Because mm. you can't get all these women, so I'm going to be in the mix to. <laughs> You know, to to pull I'll some of the residual, right? <laughs> and so it became this thing of, you know, with him, it was like it was, it was kind of like the mirroring of Marvin Gaye's life, like what is real now. That that's what yeah. officially made him like a rock star. But what is real? Um, who's real? Who's here for D'Angelo? Who's here for Michael Archer? Right. You know, um, yeah. And he had to go back and go find Michael Archer himself. Mm. So, Faith, this may seem like a weird place to ask this question. Yes. And, um, but why the book? <laughs> why, and did writing the book change your relationship with voodoo? And if so, how? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, why the book? Uh, mm. That's my sister's fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Uh, she, we were on vacation uh it was a family vacation in mexico i believe it was 20 is it 2015 or 20 no i think it was 2016 actually mm -hmm. and she she's the one that turned me on to the 33 33 and a third series and you know had, had talked about a book that she's wanted to write for a long time for part of the series but she she hasn't she hasn't pitched it yet and i don't want to embarrass her if she's watching, hi, I love you. Um, but <laughs> she, you know, she was talking, I think we were talking about one of the books or the series in general. And she just turned to me, we're literally sitting at the pool. And she's like, you know what? You should write a book about voodoo. And I was like, oh, it was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, Ooh. light bulb went off. And I was, you know, I didn't consider it at first because a lot of the people who write 33 and a third books are either music journalists or academics. And I'm neither. 
So I was like, will they let me? <laughs> so I pitched it. I mean, I, you know, I went back and when I got back home, you know, wrote up a, uh, a proposal for the book and it was, it was pretty, it was a lot of work actually. They asked for 33 and a third asked for a lot of stuff when you're, um, you know, proposing a book and they do allow like whomever to propose, you know, whatever album they want to write about. And I submitted it and I was, you know, expected nothing. I figured they're not going to pick me. I'm not, you know, Ann Powers, they don't care. And sure enough, the, the next spring, Gail Wald, who at the time was on the editorial board, she's a professor at George Washington University. She emailed me and said, hey, we loved your proposal. And uh, I think this would be a great book. And I want you to write it. We want you to write it. And I was like, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> okay, I guess I got I'm I'm to do it. I got to do it now. Yeah. And yeah, and it was it did. I mean, you know, it, I, it, that's an interesting question because I mean, I, you, I mean, you know, Laura, I loved this album. I mean, mm-hmm. I have, t- I, partic- particularly in two thousand, there were people around me, relatives, friends, who were just like, "Shut up about voodoo for the love of Jesus." I mean, I just talked about it all the time. So I don't know if it changed anything. I mean, it, I still love it. I mean, it didn't change my love for it. It didn't. I mean, I do think. It was interesting. I think the one thing that was interesting was um, I didn't realize, like, particularly like, the song Spanish Journey. Hey, Faith? Yeah. You're frozen. Oh, okay. Um, Dwayne? I'm not frozen on my I thing. Mean, just fine. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, yeah. Faith, just fine. Okay, it I'm looks like going. we are, got some folks that are frozen. Here they come. There you go. You froze for a second. Okay. Okay, you're back. Dwayne's back too. Okay. All right. But anyway, um, I just fine. Yeah. Okay. Um. But anyway, so uh, yeah. I mean, I think you know, obviously, you know, I'm older. The album's older. I think you know, and particularly with time, you know, you're the album. Certain songs are gonna hear. You're gonna hear differently. Maybe you know things. Things may feel even more poignant. Um. Actually. Um. I, I, I wasn't going to talk about Spanish or instead I'm going to talk about, actually there was a song, there's a song in the album called one more again, where it's basically D'Angelo singing about like the one that got away, the woman that he sees her and he's like, damn, you know, it didn't work out between us. Maybe, you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe we should hang out. Um, but you know, they were both with other people and whatever, you know, it's that whole, like when you lose somebody that, you would almost give anything to have back again, you know? And I, you know, I loved the song in 2000, but then I experienced it. And so <laughs> listening to it now, I'm like, oh, right. That's testimony. Okay. Um, yeah. And it, that, I mean, listening to that song now, obviously is completely different because yeah, when you have that one that you would just like, you know, one more again, like one more, one more chance, one more time. Mm-hmm. If you could have that go back and change time, I think, you know, and you experience that, you know, personally, then yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, it's, it's gonna affect you, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Dwayne, what's your relationship to the uh, album now? Has it changed in the last 20 oh, years? I, it has changed. Well, I was, I was, I was so all in it. And then I kind of put it away mm-hmm. for a minute. Um, I did the same honestly, thing. It's, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, had I to did put the same thing. I, I played then, it so much I couldn't listen to it anymore. Yeah, I had to. I had to put it away for a while and then get reacclimated. And then, honestly, um, uh, uh, Black Messiah is actually the thing I think that made me pull it back out um, because Black Messiah to me was kind of like a voodoo part two. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the name of the song? I cannot remember the name of the song on Black Messiah that I swear to you, I'm like, this is chicken grease. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably Back to the Future. Back to no, the Future, part one and part two. It wasn't Back to the Future. Okay. It's, um, um, and I, I could pull it up right quick, but no. But yeah, I just felt like, because if you want to talk about the inaudibility of his, like, of his vocals, it's even more muddy <laughs> on, on uh, Black Messiah. Like you really yeah. can't stand, see, understand half the thing he said on Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually lets me, Black Messiah let me know that voodoo 
that's where he wanted to go. His aesthetic, everything, um, him coming back with this almost grunge look uh, that he wanted to be go more into that. Um, and so it made me go back and pull out Voodoo and hear it again with different ears. And of course, we got older. I started studying music in different lenses, especially when I started doing music talks. And, it, and you just started kind of like, oh, wait a minute. And yeah, so I have a new love for the book and then for the album and then Facebook. I was like, she's right. OK, yes. So Faith, yeah, your book did help as well. Oh, thank you. No, <laughs> because that's I keep I keep coming. Yes, I keep. Yeah, I keep coming to new things. And even though I thought I I thought I loved the album to death, I thought I sat with it. So, but but it's like I started hearing it again, like I was hearing it for the first time. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a that's a great compliment because that's yeah. Thank you. So as the three of us know, and I know some of you, you all out there watching know, D'Angelo is back on social media. He is hosting a new radio show on Sonos. And we're all waiting with bated breath to see what happens next. I actually feel like I'm missing something right now. Like, did he drop an album today? Is he <laughs> dropping it right now while we're in this celebration? That would be well, crazy if he dropped an album yeah, on his birthday. It would um, be. But nobody I mean, leaves. Stop. Yeah, we, we've I'm, had technical issues. Yeah, stay put. Please stay put. <laughs> we're not done yet. There are <laughs> rumors. You, gonna... I, you know, I'm still in touch with, you know, friends of the Vanguard. And there are murmurs of new music that's how i'm gonna say. there's always murmurs of new music <laughs> that you know it, yeah. I, I mean Al, uh, I, alan lead said he, he is working on new music and actually he said he might he, he thought he would drop it last year but again i mean like pandemic time which means you know just stand still d'angelo time is the same way he will put it out when he wants to put it out and not a minute sooner so mm-hmm. we just have to wait Okay, so that just kills my next question. Uh, Dwayne and Faith, take out your crystal balls. What do you predict is next for our beloved Michael <laughs> Archer, <laughs> a.k.a. D'Angelo? But you know, nobody like knows. Said, his, his foray back into the, him, him getting an Instagram page is a huge step. Yeah, that means uh, something's uh, happening. Yeah, that's pretty Yeah, much. that means something's about to happen. Okay. I mean, we'll see. I, I mean, I think I would say... Again, and I could totally be wrong. I would I would not be surprised if either end of next year, I mean, again, with the pandemic, that could be tricky because, you know, is, can you go into a studio? Is it safe? I don't know. Um, or maybe he has a studio at home. But, I, you know, maybe end of, end of this year, maybe spring 2021. I mean, that, that sounds right to me. I mean, if I was going to pick a date, I would pick either end of this year or you know, sometime maybe around this time next year or, you know, early spring. But again, means nothing. (laughs) Okay. So, Faith, as I mentioned earlier, you're a filmmaker. Yes. And do you envision turning this book, D'Angelo's Voodoo, into a movie? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely not. Um, Well, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, you know what? The the part about the video, I I actually have sort of thought about um, maybe, you know, like, could that be some kind of like movie or, you know, TV pilot or something? I mean, because, you know, you know, sort of like, you know, what, you know, what happened with you calling me early in the morning and just everybody, you know, did you see the new D'Angelo video? You know, and just all these yeah. black women standing in front of TVs, like, uh, you know, with their mouths agape. Um, so that may, you know, that, I mean, that has crossed my mind, but no, not, not this book. I mean, I really just wrote it to write a book. I did not, I was, I was not writing and thinking, oh, I could adapt this into a film. No. Okay. Okay. So we're going to do, we got a question from the audience and I, didn't write it down, but I do know the essence of it, which is, did the video play a role in the breakup of Angie Stone and D'Angelo? They no. were already broken up. Okay. They were already broken up. During, yeah. Already broken up. Okay. Before so there we go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, um, what time is it? Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, it could be a fabulous way to rehumanize or de-objectify him. That's for you, Faith. Make a movie. 
a movie could be a fabulous way. <laughs> write me a check. <laughs> Anyone who wants to write me a check to make a movie based on this book. <laughs> there we go. I, I will gladly give you my contact information. There we go. It takes money to make the world go around. Okay. For creative, black creative production. Takes money. Takes money. So it is time to head over to the after party. But before we go, let's wish D'Angelo many more years of life, love, and great music. Thank you so much, D'Angelo. Thank you, Michael. And Happy thank birthday. you. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. Keep making music. There we go. Thank you to everybody who and, they waited and chimed in and tuned in and stayed here. Yes, thank Absolutely. you everybody and for being patient and you know, sorry, but thank you yeah. for hanging in there. Absolutely. Have and a great this, night. Well, wait a minute, we're not gone yet. Oh, we're, we're not, not gone, gone yet. yet. Okay. Not 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 yet. Okay. I have some thank yous. Okay. <laughs> so thank you to Faith Pinnock, author of D'Angelo's Voodoo. Thank you to Dwayne Powell of Sound Rotation. Thank you to the legendary Lee Michaels, our technical director and executive producer. What happened really wasn't his fault. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> and to all of you that joined us for the word, this was the word. Don't forget to grab your copy of D'Angelo's Voodoo and take advantage of that 20% discount. Now, let's head over to Twitch and join Dwayne Powell for the music, his sound rotation channel. So I'm going to we... sign out so I can get ready. Okay, so Bye we're going to wait for him to sign out. And um, we're going to go over there soon. Now, I will say, if anybody has any other questions, Faith is going to be on for a, a couple minutes more. Yeah, I can stay on. You can stay on? Okay, and then we'll all head over to the after party. The after party. Yeah. The one thing I didn't actually, well, Dwayne's gone, but um, yeah, I've, and we talked about this yesterday. Yesterday, mm -hmm. the nominations for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were announced. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's pr a pretty good class. I have to say Foo Fighters, Rage Against the Machine, Kate Bush, Mary J. Blige, Jay-Z, uh, Todd Rundgren. Uh, I won't go through the whole list. But overall, I think a, a, a strong class. D'Angelo was actually eligible this year. This is his first year mm -hmm. of eligibility. He didn't make it. He wasn't nominated. And I, you know, I was, I have to say, I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, I was maybe hoping he would get in. Uh, who knows? I mean, obviously there's still time, um, you know, they can nominate somebody every year until they don't anymore. I do wonder if it's because, I mean, the Rock Hall has not been great with R&B, particularly modern R&B artists. I think the fact that Shaka Khan isn't in yet is sort of nuts. Mm -hmm. That Tina Turner isn't in yet, although she's more rock. Um, but wait so a minute, she, she's in, but she's in under the auspices of uh, Ike and Ike Tina. And Tina right. right. She's in, right, under the Ike and Tina Turner review. Right, mm -hmm. but this, she's now nominated as a solo artist. So, you know, we'll see. But I, you know, and I, and I think the other thing, you know, I'm sure some people would argue, you know, he's only, D'Angelo's only put out three studio albums. And, you know, that's not a big discography, you mm -hmm. know. So uh, maybe people held that against him. Although, I mean, you look at Nirvana, who got in on two studio albums. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully, you know, I would love to see him, you know. I mean, you can argue whether the Rock Hall even matters and if it's totally politics and BS, which is a separate webinar or a separate conversation. But, mm -hmm. you know, I would love to see D'Angelo in the Rock Hall. Okay. Got a question for you really quickly. Sure. Faith, have you seen uh, the D'Angelo documentary, Devil's Pie? And what did you think of it? Uh, I <laughs> she did. has an opinion. I know it. <laughs> no, I, I did see it uh, God, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was at actually at the Black Harvest Film Festival, excuse me, Black Harvest Film Festival in Chicago. Um, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, I mean, it's not you know, it's one of those sort of, you know, behind the scenes, follow D'Angelo around as you witness his greatness, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he talks a little bit about growing up in Richmond and, you know, making music and his family. And so it's you don't really learn a lot about D'Angelo from that film. So if you watch it thinking it's a biopic of some sort, some sort and you're going to learn more about D'Angelo, mm -hmm. you're not. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like it's more of almost a performance like a, a concert documentary that has some like behind the scenes stuff than it is 
a, a documentary about D'Angelo. I mean, I, you know, I, and the woman that made it, I mean, it was very clear she made it as a fan. She made it as someone, I think her father, she made a previous documentary about her father, who's also a musician. Hmm. So that's sort of her ballywick. And she, she made it from that perspective. It was not something where, um, you know, it's going to be more like, uh, what's the word, a journalistic, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, when I wrote this book, I wrote it partly as a fan, but also, you know, I have a journalism background. I wrote it, you know, I interviewed people and did research, you know, so I'm not just up there like, I'm just going to throw stuff out there. You know, I wanted it to be an in-depth look at voodoo. And, but again, back to Devil's Pie, I think, I think it's enjoyable. I definitely would recommend seeing it, but again, I think it's it's a better film for people who are already D'Angelo fans than somebody who's turning on to D'Angelo for the first time because you're not going to really get you're not going to really get that biographical background of him or it's going to be in, in in very it's going to be in snippets. Okay. Well, here's my final recommendation of the evening. Faith A. Penix, D'Angelo's Voodoo. Get your copy now. It's such a good read. And it's a book that you will come back to again and again if you are a D'Angelo fan. Now, come on, y'all. Let's head over to Twitch. Let's join Dwayne Powell for the music on his Sound Rotation channel. That link is correct in your email. So hit it, click, join us. It's time to party. Okay. Time to do a little bit more celebrating of D'Angelo. Happy birthday, D'Angelo. Happy birthday, D'Angelo. And thank you all for attending. Absolutely. Take care.